Well, today we continue our series, Questions of a Skeptic. And uh, before we get into that, though, we do have this baptism here, baptistry here, and there's water in here. Ooh, it's a little, a little chilly. It's warming up a little bit, warming up a little bit. And we also gave some of you here that we, everyone, did you guys get your party whistles going in? I just want to make sure we're ready for later. We're going to do the baptism a little bit later in the service, but I do want to do a little test run here to make sure we're all ready to go because we celebrate baptisms at McDowell Mountain Community Church. We celebrate life change. So on the count of three, I got a microphone here, so I maybe better be careful, but let me see if I can hear you on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Okay. All right. All right. Very good. You got it. Now you can tuck those away, and uh, we'll be getting back to that when we celebrate at the end the baptisms that are taking place today. But we are in this series called Questions of a Skeptic. What questions do you have? So many questions abound, and we all have questions. And if you come today with questions, you're in a good place. You're in a safe place because it's okay to ask questions. So It's okay to have questions. I would even say more than just being okay, I would say it's important to have questions and to ask questions. Because if you're just going to gloss over things, things that you're wrestling with, things that you're struggling with, maybe that, that skepticism remains and that, and that nagging sense of doubt. Now, we have so many questions, and, and I have questions. Even as a, as a pastor, I have many questions still. Now, I remember back when I was in Bible school, I was preparing for, uh, for, for becoming a pastor. And uh, I had spent a year over in Germany before going to seminary, and I remember wrestling with my faith. I remember wrestling my faith in college and having some of these questions that, that, that you kind of go, what's the answer to this? And, and God, what are you doing in the world and what people are believing? And, and if I'm going to base my life on this, and not only my life, but my vocation and my, the best of my, my days and energy, I better believe this. I better not have these doubts and these challenges. And I remember wrestling through faith in that time. But it's what God used to continue to forge and to continue to strengthen our, my faith. So what, what questions do you have? And I know you have many questions because we've been getting some of your cards here. Stop asking questions. You're making me a little nervous here. I'm reading some of these and going, this is not an easy message series to deal with. And as a matter of fact, you've given me enough materials here that we may have questions of a skeptic part two, part three, part four in different, in different seasons uh, of the church. And, uh, and just so you know, too, as we wrestle through these questions, there just aren't easy answers. These are some of the questions that have persisted over time. And even sometimes getting maybe an answer or getting a reason for one of these questions may not even fully satisfy, may not remove all doubt. I also know that in my years of ministry, approaching 20 years in, in ministry, don't know exactly, something along that line, um, I, I don't think I've ever argued somebody into faith. I've never gotten down and had a conversation and said, let's go through all the doubts and questions you have, and at the end, when I give you a satisfactory answer to everything you have, then you will drop to your knees and worship Jesus Christ and become a believer, okay? That typically doesn't happen. Now, that doesn't mean questions aren't important. It just means that, that, that faith begins to, to take root in us, begins to, to, to shape in us. And oftentimes, it's, it's the experience along with the seeking and the questions that God begins to work together to begin to transform our hearts and begin to help us see who he is. And so one of our underlying currents, though, uh, for this series is the simple phrase that Jesus said and he's, as he talked to us about how we should pray. And he simply said this, seek and you shall find. So as we think about the questions, as we think about the things we're wrestling through, the questions you have, the doubts, seek and you shall find. The process of seeking 
is an essential part of believing and a part of being a follower of Christ. That this isn't just a naive faith that we blindly just go through, but that we go and dive into it. And I am so confident that when we dive into these questions, and even if we, we come up with our struggles, God will continue to show himself and reveal himself to us through this process. So last week, Matt began the series with us. Matt Zielich, our student life pastor, did a great job asking the questions, can smart people really believe the Bible, and really walked us through some really important pieces, and I'm sure you still have other things you're wondering about, but a great start, and we, we began there because the Bible is so foundational. Even as we wrestle through the questions for the rest of the series, the Bible is our source, the Bible is our guide, and so we have to have some understanding of the truth that we lean into for Scripture, and even for today's talk, and so thank you, Matt, for starting us with that series and the series with that topic. Now, today's question may arrive and maybe you find yourself in a similar scenario. Maybe you're having a conversation with, um, with some neighbors on a drive or maybe you find yourself with some coworkers um, having lunch together. And so let's say, let's say you're out having lunch, you're having some conversation, you've gotten to know these guys fairly well and you, you try to stay away from the topics that, that kind of you know, are, are hot, button, hot button items and, and, and things like that. But, but faith does seem to come up every once in a while. And so you talked about church and what you're doing and, and, and then, then the conversation got a little bit deeper and you start talking about some of the differences around the, the table. And, and one of the guys around the table is, is Mike. We'll call him Mormon Mike, okay? And he's there, and, uh, and he's, you know, he's talking about his faith. He's talking about their church and the family and what they're, what they're doing. And at some point, he comes across and says, he says to you, I feel like you're saying I'm going to hell. And all of a sudden, there's some silence around the table. Ooh, we kind of crossed a line there. And maybe you're saying, like, you know, I'm sorry, but I just can't agree with, with Mormonism, I have very different understandings of that. Now, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the one who decides who gets into heaven or into hell or who is saved. I mean, God does that, but we definitely have some, some differences. And I believe only people who believe in Jesus as the Lord and Savior are the ones who are going to spend eternity with him. And then Mormon Mike says, well, well, I believe in Jesus. And maybe you go, well, not the way that I do. And right about that time, Susanna chimes in. She's a, a kind of Jewish. That's how she would describe herself. I mean, that's a, you know, like, we do some of the traditional things, but I'm not really that devout. And so, so she's kind of thinking, like, why do you guys like, have to keep arguing about which way is better? I mean, what's really important is that we believe some version of God and that, that people are, are loving and kind to one another, because all religions are basically the same thing. I mean, they're all kind of different ways and, and have different names, but really it's all kind of about the same thing. And then in the corner, there was Taylor, Religious but not uh, spiritual but not religious Taylor. You guys you have no people like that, right? I mean, that's, what, that's how he described himself. I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And he said, see, this is why we have all these problems in the world. This is why we can't get the peace because we're arguing and we're fighting over things. If we would just allow each other the space to believe whatever it is that we want, we'll be okay and we will have peace. And everyone kind of nods and agrees and thinks, and you're going, what, what do I do with that? How do I deal with that? And so... Some of these questions about faith and other religions were some of the very pieces that, that you were asking, and, and some of the questions here from, from your cards had to do with um, how do you reconcile Christianity, Hinduism, Judaism, Buddhism, and all the other religions with God? Aren't they all ultimately believing in the same God, just maybe by a different name? Do you have to believe in Jesus to believe in God? Can God be three entities in one Others say Allah is one and Christian, Christians have three gods. Can Mormons call themselves Christians and, and so on and so forth? Questions about how do we engage and deal with other people of other faiths. 
And so the way that we want to phrase the question this morning that kind of tries to encompass all these is the question like this, is why is Christianity so exclusive? Don't all religions lead to God? How many of you have ever wondered something along these lines or had a question in this area of discussion? This is important for us to to see. We're not the only ones. I mean, at some point, even though we maybe have a fully devout faith here and are convinced with God, it We wrestle through, what about other people and what about other faiths? Why is Christianity so exclusive? Don't all religions lead to God? And especially in today's culture, in the world we live in, a very pluralistic world, a world where we we travel widely and the internet gives us exposure to to far reaches of the world, where we interact with people from other faiths, this kind of question makes us wonder and we start thinking, like, why are Christians so exclusive? Aren't other religions also authentically seeking God? Is there not another kind of encounter that they have with God too? And so today I want to take some time to wrestle with this question. Now, in in about, you know, 20, 30 minutes here that we have together, time to talk, I'll just tell you right now, we're not going to cover the whole scope of this topic. But I'm going to want to dial into a couple parts of that. So let's just ask God to open our hearts to hear what he has to say and uh, just open our spirit to to understanding. Heavenly Father, this morning as we wrestle with this, this challenging topic that faces our world in such a real way all around us, God, would you open our eyes, would you open our hearts, and hear your truth speaking this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to look at basically two parts as we look at this this question. The first part is really why exclusive? What's this word exclusive? Which seems to be this idea that that Christians would say this is is it, Christianity or nothing. So why this, this exclusivity? That's what I want to look at first. And then the second part of the question, the second part of the message is going to be more what's behind the question. When this question is asked, what's actually behind that? What are we trying to get at? What are we wondering about? And so let's begin with this question, this exclusivity of this question. Where did this originate, this idea that Christianity is so exclusive? And so when we look at the origins, we have to make this statement, and I believe it is a very true statement in Scripture. Jesus was very exclusive. Jesus himself was very exclusive. And if Jesus is at the center of our faith, so much so that everything revolves around Christ and what he did and who he is and who he said he is, he is very exclusive. So here's this one verse where so much hinges on. It's John 14, uh, verse 6. John chapter 14, verse 6. And Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he say, one day, you know, you're going to join, be with me, and I'm preparing a place for you. And, and he's talking about eternity and being with them. And they said, well, we don't know uh, how to get there. We don't know the way. And Jesus says to them this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Case closed. It'd be an easy answer. Many times as believers, we say, hey, that's it. That's case closed. We, we, we move on. And, but that's where some of the tension arises from was how can it be so exclusive? And, and, and I remember having a conversation with my cousin who was also in seminary with me at the time. And we were on fall break. And all the way on a driving, we went from Indiana to Tennessee on fall break. The entire drive, I forget how many hours that was, we talked about this topic. And he says, is Jesus the way or a way? Changes the whole discussion, doesn't it? If Jesus is a way or if Jesus is the way. So this one little word, 
So much hinges on it, and so many different views and feelings have go in and around that. So Jesus was very exclusive. He was very exclusive about the way to God. And so in today's culture, that's really, really not very well accepted. It flies in the face of our culturally sensitive, politically correct, all-inclusive, relativistic views, right? These broad, you know, why let's have Christians open their minds to this. They're, otherwise, Christians are seen as arrogant, bigoted, narrow-minded, It's not very tolerant when you say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Who do Christians think they are? Do they have a monopoly on religion? Who are they to judge everyone else? Jesus made a very exclusive claim. And so Christianity can sometimes get pigeonholed into a certain corner. But here's, listen to this, exclusivity is not unique to Christianity. Exclusivity is not unique to to Christianity. As a matter of fact, it's a part of every religion. The Muslims have their scriptures, the Quran. And as a matter of fact, so exclusive to say that it has to be read and only only read in the in the Arabic language for it to be valid, for it to count, and many other beliefs that, that they hold very firmly to. Hinduism has karma, the Vedas, their scripture, and a belief in reincarnation. That's a central tenet to their understanding. And that they see everything as being blended together. And maybe you say, well, they have, they have room for lots of gods, hundreds and thousands of gods. And they would even say, Jesus can be one of your gods. Well, maybe they're very inclusive. But the reality is if you were to say, no, I can't blend Jesus, the syncretistic faith. I can't blend that together like you require. Then you would be outside of the understanding of what it means to be a Hindu. And then there's Buddhism, which is an outright rejection of the Hindu scriptures and the caste system and many other beliefs. And, of course, then there's atheists who say you can't believe in a God. There is no God. So if you believe in a God or many gods, you cannot be an atheist. That's very exclusive. And so it helps us when we talk about this conversation because it's sometimes laden with this this tension that somehow Christians have a different view on this. Really, any worldview, any religious view, has a lot of um, exclusivity to it. It's how we hold on to it. As a matter of fact, if you think about some of the nations in the world that are also political religious systems, you can get killed for not believing the right thing. If you go to Pakistan or, or you go to Saudi Arabia or you go to Iran, in any Christianized nation, that is actually not even, that, that, that's not true. And so we see how these faiths and these beliefs are held so tightly, not just by Christianity, but by other religions as well. See, one of the issues here is that truth, by definition, is always exclusive. Even by definition, if you were to take a logic course, Truth, by definition, is exclusive. Now, some of you are thinking, man, I feel like I'm back in college. I have to take notes. And I know this is a little different than some of our sermons. And Matt and I were talking about, like, these are kind of hard to tell, like, stories and to be funny. It's like, these are big topics that we're addressing. But, but it's very foundational because sometimes these accusations get thrown so freely. But if we truly believe there's a truth, then if it can't be both A and not A. And actually, that's a, a called the law of non-contradiction. Opposite or different truths cannot both be true. And so the question is, are, are there many ways to God? Are there many paths to God? And, and if, there, if no one can be really sure, then, then maybe it's you know, something between all of them or one or the other. But, but logic does not allow that. Truth does not allow that. Either one way is right and the others are wrong, or they're all wrong and there's a different way. And so we're left with some of these, these challenging pieces like, well, how do we deal with this? Then, then, then where do we go? Don't all religions lead to the same place? I can easily answer that and say, no, they don't. 
Because the religions can't even agree on what that same place is. For example, in, in Buddhism, there isn't even the destination of God. They don't even believe in a creator being, in a creator God. It's reaching this place of nirvana, this place of enlightenment. And so there's not even agreement on what that destination is. So how can both be true? Now, there's truth found in many different ways and places as much as we believe, as believers, as it is revealed in Christ. That there is truth and there are elements of truth and goodness in many different places. But why, why so exclusive? Again, Jesus' claim. But even his followers felt like, no, there aren't many ways to God. There's, there's one way. They, they said in, in Acts as they were preaching and, and teaching in the early church, that salvation is found in no other name. Salvation is found in no one else than in the name of Jesus. Wow, that, that feels pretty, pretty exclusive. Well, then you might say, so why can't Christians just allow everyone to believe what they want? That's fine. And we're in a culture, right, where, where that's, that's tolerance, right? Allow each person to believe what they want. You own it for yourself. Don't talk about it. Don't try to push that on anyone else. And so there's a challenge that comes in this question as well. Leave everyone else alone. Believe what you want. Do your church thing and leave everyone else alone. And, and, and I'm sure we feel that too in many ways from other religions or faiths, and maybe we duck out of the way when the doorbell comes ringing and a couple people walk up to our door, right? Or maybe if somebody else from another faith came and started trying to, to, to tell us about it. We, we get that. That's part of our culture. We feel that. And so as Christians, sometimes maybe, or as a church, we want to shy away from that and we, we be, are quiet. But, but why can't we do that? Or, 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 or why don't we just keep quiet? Well, there's this problem, and it's Jesus again. <laughs> and... Uh, Jesus, when he, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, he sent his church on a mission. He gave the great commission. And, and, and this hangs out there, and this commission says this, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach the, them to obey everything I have commanded. And so we're left with this mandate that, that Jesus himself said, go and, and make disciples. Don't just stay to yourself. Don't just own it for yourself, but, but, but reach out to others. Teach them. Baptize them. Help them understand this process. And so we're sent on this mission, and so we cannot be silent. And I fear that the longer the church is going here in the United States and in this culture and this generation, the quieter and the quieter and the quieter that we get in the public sphere because it's seen as intolerant to share your faith with somebody else, but it puts the great commission of Christ on the back burner. Jesus is saying, go and make disciples, but, but here's where I think the real problem actually comes. This is one of the pieces, I think, behind this message. Where, where is the problem? Where is the challenge? If we understand that Christianity is exclusive, just like other religions are and that truth is, and, and of course, as followers of Christ, we're here in the church, I'm here to tell you what it is that we believe and why we believe what we do, we hold on to that, and Jesus has compelled us to go and to share that with others. We're exclusive, but the problem, the real problem behind our question isn't so much about exclusivity, but more about the way Christians behave and act towards others. It's the way we go about our missions. We act exclusive, and we act intolerant. And we see out there the sometimes embarrassing, loud, obnoxious, unloving ways that, that, that sometimes faith is shared. We think through history and some of the military conquests and, and the brutality that was used in the name of religion, and, and none of us want to embrace that because we go, that's, that's not what this is about. And the world sees that and thinks, Christians, why must you be so 
aggressive in this or so forceful in this. I, I was watching the news just uh, about a week or so ago, and here in the Phoenix area, somebody there were some, some, some Christians who were protesting a mosque with megaphones and their signs and, and just being loud and obnoxious and are not making any headway. Is this the way to go about this idea of many religions and, and faiths and, and interacting in the public sphere? Dr. Ravi Zacharias, he's a He's a, uh, from India. He's a, a philosopher, an apologist. He, he defends the faith in many different ways. And, and one, one thing he shared was this Indian proverb. And he said this. He said, once you cut off a person's nose, there is no point in giving him a rose to smell. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Once you cut off a person's nose, there's no point in giving him a rose to smell. And so many times what we do as followers of Christ or as a church or as believers, we cut off people's noses. And then you want to come back and kind of go, but we have this beautiful gospel, this beautiful truth, and there's nothing that can be heard from that. Those terms don't come through. Mahatma Gandhi, many of you have maybe heard this. He said, I like their Christ. I don't like their Christians. Frederick Nietzsche said, I, believe in, I will believe in the Redeemer when the Christian looks a little more redeemed. <laughs> Hard indictments, challenges, and I don't always know that we're being so abrasive and aggressive out there. Sometimes I think we're just being silent. And so how do we communicate? How do we communicate this exclusive way that, that Jesus himself puts right at the center? And if we're going to follow Jesus, we can't avoid this exclusive claim that he is the way. How do we go about this? Well, Here's another important piece to know. Jesus was not only very exclusive. Jesus was very inclusive. Jesus was very inclusive. One of the most well-known verses in Scripture and the one following, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world, everyone, the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, whoever <laughs> believes in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send a son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The world, everyone, anyone. While Jesus is very exclusive about the way, Jesus is very inclusive about who is invited. And the way we go about that invitation and the way that we approach the world and the people around us. When we see Jesus in his day and age where religion was very exclusive, he came into that setting, he came into that culture, into those politics, and when we look at who Jesus included in Scripture, he included the Gentiles and the Romans, those who were not believers. They were, they were open and they were invited into this way of following him. Outcasts, sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, lepers, women, children. It was an all invitation. Jesus saying, let the children come to me, those who didn't even have a right, have any kind of access in that setting. Jesus invited, Jesus included them in. And as I look at different religions and I look at different approaches that people would say arrive at God or nirvana or a state of being or some eternal thing, I have to look at the faith that we profess and the faith that I so strongly believe in. And there are two very inclusive claims that, that set Christianity apart from all the other religions. It's the cross and the resurrection. The cross of Christ and the resurrection. 
You see, the cross is so powerful because unlike in other religions or, or, or schools of thought or philosophies about man trying to make his way to God, do the things we can to get God to notice, to take notes, to come, and, and for us to be a part of that, our faith shows a God who comes to us. A God who takes the effort to make his way to us, to people, to humanity, to saying, I'm paying the way, not for you to have to do everything right, get it all right, dot all your I's, cross all your T's, get all your ducks in a row, then you can have the blessing of God. And it's this constant, like, you do well to me, then I'll bless you. You do bad, this karma kind of stuff, right, that's out there. Here's a God who says, I'm willing to come to you. And not only that, I'm going to pay the price. Every other religion, there's sacrifices and there's things you need to do here our God, the one we worship, comes and makes the sacrifice. Then the other side of it is he dies on the cross, as we just celebrated on Easter. But the second part of that is the resurrection. That Christianity's claim, the founder, the center, the, the focus of everything that we are in our faith, we can't go to a place where the bones are buried of a Mohammed, right? Or of Gandhi, or of other leaders, or philosophers, and it's... He's a risen Christ. He has the power over death, the power to conquer this world. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so these two very unique pieces that we, that we obey, that we follow, that we dedicate our life to a living, eternal God, not to just a school of thought or a, a way of philosophy that came through history, but that God continues to move and to breathe and to bring his life to us. And between the cross and the resurrection, everything Jesus taught is this amazing principle, this amazing piece of grace. Grace is so devoid in so many different religions and views. This grace that, that, that God invites us, it's a free gift that I invite you in, this inclusive inviting in that just receive this gift from the God of all eternity. He wants you to have this gift of life and of freedom and of being just you know, lifted from the sins and the darkness and the struggles of this world, Jesus wants to take those pieces. So when we think about this topic, why is Christianity so exclusive? Don't all religions lead to God? One thing I think is behind that is this desire of humanity throughout the ages to want to know God. I mean, that's what's behind it, right? Ways we want to experience God, we want to know and have the sense in our human souls that there's more to this life than, than what is here, that there is an etern eternity, a God, there's something that is beyond us. But the question remains, can God be known? Can truth be revealed? Would God reveal himself? And sometimes the argument's made, and, and maybe you've heard the story of the three blind men that, are trying to, that have never seen an elephant but are trying to describe an elephant. And, and they, they're stationed at different parts of the elephant, and one blind man is, is around the leg of the elephant, another one is given the ear, another one is given the trunk. And when asked to describe the elephant, one says it's like a snake, another one says it's like a leaf, another one says it's like a big tree. And none of them have the right answer because the elephant is so much bigger than all of them. And we got to go, yeah, 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 I like that. that. That makes sense. We all have different ways and different parts of revealed to God, but we can't possibly know God. If you view it that way, you cannot be a follower of Christ because this assumes that the elephant is not seen. And yet we here as the observers of the story, we know it's an elephant. <laughs> what does that mean for us as believers? Well, God wanted to reveal himself to us. God didn't want to be a mystery. God didn't want to remain silent. God didn't want to be hidden in some obscure way. And so scripture reminds us over and over and again that, that the word eternal became flesh, that he lived among us. 
Scripture tells us that, that, the, that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And so as followers of Christ, at the very heart and center of who we are is that God can be known. God wants to be known. And not only that, he's shown us who he is. And that's why we take such hope and such courage to say it's not a mystery. Now, there's still mystery to God, and I believe that there, we don't just have this tight formula. But in what we know of Christ and what he's revealed to us, we have the visible image of the invisible God. And Jesus stands squarely at the center. So we wrestle through these ideas. We wrestle through these topics. But ultimately, we all need to investigate. We all need to lean in and say, okay, well, what is it? Is it, is it in one of these religions? Is it Christianity or is it in none of these? What are you going to stake your life on? Where are you going to find that truth? And, and what we see here in this church in large part, not everyone, but many, most perhaps, have found truth in Christ revealed through him. Now, it's, it's tough. It's not easy to come to Christ. And he says in many ways, he's, it's a free gift, but he says, look, the, the, road, you know, the, the road is narrow that leads to life. Because Jesus is the gate. Jesus is that, that point. He's called the stumbling block. And if we can't get past Jesus, we miss out. But Jesus says, look, I'm open. Come, it's a free gift. I give you life. The cross and the resurrection. This baptistry here this morning represents the cross and the resurrection. It represents the life that is found in Christ. And this morning, as a powerful, just maybe point of reference this morning. We have people in this service and the next service who are saying this morning through baptism, look, I'm willing to get up in front of an entire community of people and to say, I am all in. Jesus Christ has changed my life. I have found life. I have found God. And the very act of baptism is the symbolic piece that talks about transformation that happens in the lives of, of people who've come to know Christ. Jesus himself was baptized, and throughout the ages, people have been baptized, and it's what brings us into the part of the church. It's this rite of passage that declares, I am with God. And what it symbolizes is, as the person goes under the water, we align ourselves with the cross, the death to ourselves, aligning with Jesus. We've been buried with Christ, dead to our sin, dead to ourselves, but we are raised to new life, the resurrection, the washing away of our sins to new life in Christ. And so this morning as we, we end this service and we celebrate that God is still changing lives, that he is revealing himself and that people are finding that truth, we're going we're gonna to hear from a few of these individuals. And I just pray for us as a church, as we think about the way that we approach this difficult topic in the public sphere, as we have these different conversations, that yes, we understand Jesus is exclusive. There's no way around that. But he was so inclusive in his invitation. I pray that we don't cut the noses off people but that we can present the rose and the beauty of the gospel and that our lives reflect that, the way that we live, the way that we transcend the challenges in this world because we know a risen Christ.